0: Chapter 27 of The Grey Man This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Grey Man by S. R. Crockett Chapter 27 On the Heartsome Heather Now I must tell during this time of Sir Thomas Kennedy, he seemed altogether another man he had ever indeed been kindly and generous, forgiving and unsuspicious. But during these spring months of the year after Bargany's death, he seemed to ripen like a winter apple when it is laid by, till there was no more sourness in him anywhere. Oftentimes he would come and cause me to read him out of the Gospels. Aforetime it had always been from the Old Testament, which I had ever thought the more interesting, till Sir Thomas that spring showed me other of it, making me read through the Holy Gospels. Indeed, to talk with him and watch his life was better than any sermon. I declare that before I understood his character and thought, I knew not that religion was aught more than the colour of a faction, a thing to fight about, like the blood feuds of Cassillis and Bargany, concerning the wrong and right of which not one in a thousand knows anything, and still fewer care. Yet for all his increasing gentleness there was not unmanly about my lord, but ever the bearing and speech of a most courteous knight. He had a great love for noble and sweet music, and often diverted himself on the viol, upon which he played most masterly. The scurril jest, indeed, he would sharply reprove, but his heart still inclined to wit and mirth, and his countenance was constantly cheerful. Specially this was so when he and I, with Nell and little David, rode south to Galloway, where we were to abide a long season with Sheriff Agnew. For Margaret Kennedy, his eldest daughter, was married to the young Laird, the Sheriff's son and abode at the castle of Lochnaw. Now in these days the air of Galloway, brisk yet kindly, suited my master better than the sea winds which were ever blowing about Coulain. And what was more to him than all Galloway was not so torn by feuds as Carrick and Kyle. And a man held not his life ever in the palm of his hand, as a tavern drawer does an unsteady cup which at any moment may be spilled. Nevertheless, my good master found an infinite sadness in this, that in a wide realm of men that are called Christians, I, Launcelot Kennedy, should have come to the years of manhood with no better opinion of religion than that it was the rag of faction. And this too, with ministers in mostly every parish, with preachings and communings and all the outer husk of godliness. But during this springtime Sir Thomas showed me quite other of it. But yet I gave not in to all his argument about the kingdom of peace. For I answered that I was his soldier and servant, and that time and again it had been so ordered by Providence that fight I must for the safety and honour of my master, and eke for mine own, this being the sphere of life in which my lot had been cast. I it not, said Sir Thomas, defence and the appeal to arms are lawful, but I have lived many days, and I think shall not live many more. Yet never have I seen the lasting success of them that make the appeal to the sword truly does holy writ say, that they that flee to the sword shall perish by the sword. And as we paced together, he read to me much from his little Bible, and bemoaned his sins and evil life, especially how that he had been overtaken in the house of Sir Thomas Nesbit on the New Year's night of the attack. I wished that I dared tell him that I had arranged the matter with his host for the saving of his life. But I judged that repentance is no bad thing for young or old so I e'en let him repent his fill and bemoan as he would. Few places more heartsome have I seen than the Tower of Lochna. First it stood near to an inland loch, where ducks squattered and splashed, instead of being like Kulain, set amid the thresh of winds and the brattle of the sea. Then the sheriff and his children were well agreed, and friendly with their neighbours, so that it was a proverb that the wolves and the lambs lay down together in that countryside— FOR IF YOU STIRRED AN AGNEW, YOU HAD ALL THE WOLVES OF GALLOWAY ON YOUR BACK. BUT IN TRUTH, THE AGNEWS WERE SOMEWHAT STRANGE LAMBS, THOUGH THEIR NAME BEARS THAT SIGNIFICATION. WE ARE CALLED AGNEWS BECAUSE WE HAVE SO OFTEN BEEN FLEECED, SAID THE SHERIFF ONCE IN HIS PLEASANTRY. BUT I TOLD HIM THAT WAS BAD SENSE, THOUGH GOOD WIT, BECAUSE IN THE HILLS WE SHORE NOT THE LAMBS TILL THEY HAD GROWN TO BE SHEEP. I well,' said the sheriff, twinkling with his eyes, "'share my son Patrick there, for he is now sheepmuckle, and has been so silly as to mix himself with the unruly folk of Carrick. I had indeed great pleasure in the house of Lochnaw. It is a fair place, with walls, moats, and drawbridges all about, very proper for defence, so that there be no artillery sent against it. But to my thinking the mounds might now very well be levelled and turned into walks and terraces, as has been done at Culain. I sat down daily with the family at table, and was in all respects as one of them. For the sheriff said, Ye are not to be strange with us, for my wife comes from within sight of Kiriak Hill, and likes dearly to listen to the tongue of the Muirland border-folk. Ay, said my lady Agnew, for I will not call her the old lady, seeing that she had kept the heart that was within her young, ay, and I have not seen any folk to better them on these fat, profitable runs. THAT, SAID THE SHERIFF, WAS WHAT I THOUGHT WHEN I WENT TO THE MINNOCH SIDE FOR A WIFE. AND VERY GALLANTLY HE LIFTED HIS WIFE'S HAND TO HIS LIPS, LIKE THE NOBLE AND COURTLY GENTLEMAN HE WAS. AND TO THIS DAY THE AGNEWS HAVE EVER BEEN PROUD OF THEIR WIVES, AND WITH REASON. HEARKEN TO THESE YOUNG FOLKS, SAID LADY AGNEW, AS THE NOISE AND TUMULT OF MUCH LAUGHTER AND DAFFING CAME UP TO US. "Hark TO THEM! IS IT NOT GOOD TO BE YOUNG? And therefore it is good to be my lady of Lochnaw, said I, for I determined to show that there were folk in Carrick that could be gallant as well as Galloway Agnews. "'Hoot culain, cried the lady Agnew, how have ye brought up your squire that he cannot see a well looking woman, but on the instant he maun begin to court her? What, cried my master, the regardless loon, and that before her husband's face too? That, at least, is not a Galloway fault at Onygate, said the sheriff, smiling for Galloway ever behaves itself before folk, and courts only behind backs and slyly by the licht of the moon. Ye talk havers, Andrew, said his wife, never did I meet you behind backs all the days of our courting. Nah, said the sheriff, but your father, honest man, was sair troubled with deafness, and your mother was blind, and lame o' oh, a leg forby. Hod your tongue, good man, have some mensa afore the young man, for he looks a sober chill and blate. What should he have to do with lasses? at his years here nell kennedy broke out in peal on peal of laughter and when they asked her the reason it was but at launcelot's face when my lady praises him for being blate he looks as innocent as our gray cat grimalkin when she has eaten all the fish for supper i wish that i could dwell longer on these sweet peaceful days in galloway but the spring went on apace and sir thomas was summoned back to culzean his nephew the earl urgently needed his advice and wrote to him to say so the Earl makes you many compliments, said the Lady Lochnaw. Ay, aye, said Coulaine, Earl John was I a great spender with his tongue, even as was the daddy of him. So we were bound to ride away from this kindly and merry house of Lochnaw, and much did I desire to return thither. Never once did we speak of wars and stratagems while we remained under that roof, but all of friendship, of lusty daffing, and of leesome love. But when we mounted I bade farewell to all with a way heart, I envied the sheriff greatly, for he had a wife whom he loved in age as in youth, and yet whom he knew wherein to be the master of. A thing, I take it, which makes home happier than all besides. I thought within me that Patrick, his son, had set himself a harder field to plough in his market. Yea, already, methought, he had let the reins slip from his hands, which after all is no strange thing, considering that she was own sister to Marjorie and Nell Kennedy, of whose stiff necks I had oft had experience. Here we went, the sheriff said a word that amused us all. When I came to be sheriff, he said, I found my father at the horn, outlaw and rebel, for refusing to pay tens to cover the back of a bishop's lady with silks and satins. And when I die, it looks like that I shall see my son at the horn for cleading of his wife according to the degree of a queen. For young Patrick Agnew liked better than all to be forever gadding about after the merchants of France and the Low Countries, who knew his weakness so well that they would come from far to sell him stuff for the decking of his lady, who, when all was said and done, was nothing to compare to Nell or even to Marjorie, her younger sisters. So we departed, almost heartbroken, to leave the sweet place of Lochna, and the sheriff rode with us to the village of Stranar, a long, clarty, Irish-looking street with pigs and bairns running about it, set on the shore of a fine loch. Here, Sir Andrew and his retinue bade us farewell, and so turned them and rode away back to the homely steading of Lochna. Now, upon our homeward journey, it was the great good pleasure of the knight, my master, that we should ride up the Minnock Glen to visit my father and mother, whom I had not seen for long. Sir Thomas put it that it would be well that we rode not directly by Ard and near to Bargany along the shore road, for the folk of Bargany were cruelly set against us. Nevertheless I knew that the real reason was that he wished me to see my mother. So we struck across the moorland country of Wigtonshire, to the head of the Loch of Cree, which is a vast, wild, swampy place where many waterfowl congregate, and where duck and seagull build their nests. As we breasted the swelling moors we came in sight of the mountains that were dear to me, for I was hillbred and loved them, so that I could have ridden on, caroling like a lark, had I been in any other company. But Sir Thomas and Nell knew what was in my heart, for as we rode up Minnock, they looked at each little thatched cot house, and asked what it might be called, which was most amiable of them, for I loved to tell over the well-kenned names, though the hearing of them could not possibly have pleasured Nell or her father. When we came to the brow of the hill, along the side of which runs the track to the Rowan tree, I begged of them that I might ride a little way in front, in order to prepare my father and mother for their reception. Really I went because I did not wish them to see me meet my mother, for I knew that I was bound to weep. But it fell not out as I had expected, for the dogs that were about the farm came barking and youching round the corner, and I saw the rough head of our herd laddie looking out of the barn. Then he scudded across the yard like a hare, and anon there came my mother forth, with a white hood upon her head, and girt about with her apron, even as she had been when, as a boy, I used to come pelting home from the hills, hungrily looking for a piece and a slockening drink of milk. So she came on the little loaning to meet me, nearly running in her eagerness, I declare, and there, at the gate-slap, I leaped down from Dom Nicholas, and took my mother about the neck, greeting like a great silly bairn but for my life I could not help it. Yet I need not have cared, for Nell and Sir Thomas were admiring something on the hills, with their heads close together, and over my shoulder I could hear him pointing out to her the road to Strayton and the way across the hills to Girvan, so they observed not my weakness. Then came Sir Thomas forward, and I presented him to my mother. Whereupon he greeted her by the name of Lady Carioch, for that was a title of courtesy to a Laird's wife and though Kyrioch is but a little place and a wild uncouth holding, yet Sir Thomas walked by my mother's side, leading his horse and talking, with his hat in his hand all the while, as if she had been the Queen of Scots herself. And as I looked steadfastly away towards the wind, so that they should not see that I had been weeping, and also to let the air dry my eyes, for such weakness is ridiculous in a man, Nell came riding by on her palfrey. She cast a little glance about her, to see that none observed, a look quick and timorous. Then she leaned over and gave me a light little pat on the cheek with her hand, a thing she never did before, but which I liked very well. Then came out my father to meet us at the door, and Sir Thomas took him by the hand heartily. You and I, Laird, he said, are not so young as we were at the King's Muster on the moor and when you held the colours of Cassillis, even as your son does this day. No, Sir Thomas, said my father, brittle bones, slack sinew thin-sewn hair have come to us both since that day, when it was my good fortune to serve with you, and under you.' "'Ah, Kyriach,' replied the tutor of Cassilis, "'I envy you here on your high and heartsome yours, where the wild-cats are your greatest enemies and not more dangerous than the urn ever stoops to slay.' "'It is a guy-hard struggle at times,' replied my father, with Lancelot away and only two old bodies left with the serving-men. "'Ah, by the way,' said the tutor. I have made it my business to see that and a little, when the lad has won his spurs, you shall have Lancelot back with something worthwhile in his pouch, and a handle to his name as good as the lave of us. I am glad that you have such good reports to give of him, said my mother. Oh, said the tutor of Cassillis drolling, I am none so sure of that. He has enough conceit of himself, indeed, but in his presence we will not say more. And then my mother set the table for us with her own hands, though Sir Thomas insisted that she should not. But with all due acknowledgment of his courtesy my mother continued the work with dignity and grace. Besides which I question whether at the moment Susan, the buyer lass, was dressed fitting to come into a room where there was the company of great folk. But it was more than pleasant to see Nell rise to help my mother to spread the cloth and lay out the silver spoons. We had the best of Muirland fare: mutton of the sweetest, black-faced and small, toothsomely fed on the sweet tender grasses that nestle among the heathernaws. Also we had sweet milk, oat and cake of a rare crispness, a Quebec of rich cheese, and butter, as the scriptures say, in a lordly dish, for the vessel was of silver, and had upon it the ancient arms of the Kennedys. The tutor picked it up and looked at it. "'These are the bearings of my great-grandfather,' he exclaimed, much astonished. "'Yes,' said my father, and he was also my grandfather. "'Bless me,' cried the tutor of Cassilis. "'I knew not that we were so nearly related.' and all through the remainder of our stay he called my father cousin. And as for Mistress Nell, there was no end to her merriment on the subject. Now we shall fight more than ever, she said, for we Kennedys always fight with our cousins. And I must find the handle of the hayrake with which I used to beat my cousin Philip. It will serve excellently for drubbing Lancelot, my new sweet cuz. At last we rode away, and Nell Kennedy kissed my mother lovingly when we bade farewell, so that my heart warmed more than ever to the lass. Wayheartedly enough, we left the little white housey behind us, sitting blithesome on its bray above the white stones of the burn, and in my imagination to this very day, whenever I am away from the Minup for long, rises a clear picture of the waterside as we saw it that morning, a wide valley filled to the brim with sunshine and the stir of breathing airs, the whopes and pea-sweeps beginning to build, and keeping up all the time above our heads, a brave welter of crying and the whistle of eddying wings. I wonder not that sometimes you grow homesick, said Nell Kennedy. When you are distracted and morose, I shall now know the reason. So we came in due season to the house of Coulaine, and there we found all well, with James playing tennis contentedly in the court, and Sandy up at the stables, acting the big man and giving his orders as large as my lord. End of chapter 27